Hi, my name's Beth. Welcome to Black Nature Narratives. This podcast offers black perspectives on issues relating to the natural world. I grew up in the countryside, immersed in nature, and felt the deep significance of nature as both something we're part of and something we can have a relationship with. I'm a nature-based psychotherapist and anthropologist, teaching woodland living skills and natural history, and director of Wild in the City, a non-profit which uses nature to support the well-being of urban residents. I'm interested in our relationship with nature as people of colour, and in creating space to explore black perspectives about the value and role of nature within our lives. If you want to hear more from black practitioners about how they experience nature and navigate the environmental field, then this podcast is for you. Here we'll celebrate our love of nature and share inspiration from black leaders within conservation, ecology, outdoor education and environmental justice talking about their work and their journeys into a field with low representation of black people, highlighting voices less heard within the environmental sector. I'll also be exploring the historical legacies which impact on our sense of belonging within nature and environmental activities, giving consideration to how our presence and perspectives can become politicised when our lived reality diverges from the mainstream narrative. I recently made a trip to the States to connect with colleagues working within the environmental field. It was a really powerful experience, meeting incredible people, making a difference to local communities and in conserving natural heritage. In many ways, communities of colour in America are much further ahead than we are in the UK in challenging the existence of racism within the work or in the impact that attitudes, policies and processes have on black communities and in creating disparities and inequity. Where the pushback to mentioning race here in the UK is typically either to be ignored or perceived as creating a problem rather than reporting one, environmental justice on racial grounds is an established field of study and practice in the States where the 1964 Civil Rights Act is used to challenge health disparities, and Dr. Dosita Taylor's seminal 2014 report, The State of Diversity in Environmental Organisations, has laid the ground for confronting racism and a lack of inclusion within the environmental sector. In this series, I'll be sharing some of the conversations I had with African-American academics, practitioners and activists working within nature education, environmental justice, youth engagement and faith and civil rights organisations. They're speaking on themes of black history, black-centred activism, black leadership within predominantly white environmental organisations, civil rights legacies and encouraging greater black participation within the environmental field. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me for the Black Nature Narratives podcast. I'm Beth. In this episode, I'm talking with Dr Mamie Parker, a biologist and the first African-American female chief of staff at the US Fish and Wildlife Service and former head of fisheries. She considers her first mentor in the outdoors to have been her mother, who would take her fishing as a child and share life lessons. Listen in to hear Dr Parker offer inspiration about navigating white-dominated spaces, 
as the first child to integrate her school in southern Arkansas and within her career progression. So I'm having a conversation today with Dr Mamie Parker, who's recently retired as the Chief of Staff of the UK Fisheries and Wildlife Department. But uh, the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, I, I retired as the head of fisheries in this country. Prior to that, I was a regional director of the 13 northeastern states from Maine down to West Virginia and also uh, head of fisheries in this country. So, um, and when I left the service, I was an assistant director for fisheries, which is the head of fisheries in this country. It's so incredibly inspiring that as an African-American female that you've held so many senior positions in the field. Well, I'm most proud of the fact that I was a biologist for almost 20 years before I became a, a high-level um, official. Yeah. So let's go back then, go back sort of to the beginning and, and mm -hmm. talking about where did you grow up? What were your formative experiences with nature? So this is really, really, sometimes I get emotional thinking about it because uh, uh, my mother was an avid angler and uh, I'm number 11 in my family. Wow. And before I was born, she had already had five boys and five girls. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I broke that tie, but I grew up in a small rural community, a uh, farming community in southern Arkansas on the border of the Louisiana line. Mm -hmm in a community where she took me outside with her uh, gardening and fishing. And so um, that was my first experience in, in the outdoors was my first mentor was my mother. Wonderful, really inspiring that um, nature was not just a place of enjoyment, but there's that sort of practical engagement. Yes, and lots of life lessons. Mm. Uh, I can remember learning one about catching fish. Yeah. And she used that as uh, the, the message that Dr. Covey, Steve Covey, uh, talked about the seven habits of highly effective people and visualizing success. So she said, when you throw that line out there, visualize that fish at the end of the line. And so when I'm goal setting, you know, I think about a life lesson that I learned from her about you know, in fish, in the fish world, you got to see the fish, but you got to understand the, the the habitat and know mm. where fish like to be. Yeah. And so you have to be strategic, and you have to really know the setting that you're in. And so a lot of those life lessons were very helpful for me as a as an adult and as a senior leader. Um, really breaking history uh, as a, a a woman of color yeah. uh, in those positions. And you've been making history since being a young girl. Um, you've integrated your, your school. Yes. Third grade, first third grade uh, girl in my uh, class um, in a school where uh, we had a white school and a black school. And this was not like it is now where you're integrating a school just because you live in a geographic area or whatever. It was because they had problems, quite frankly. Uh, you know, getting the community to integrate the school and once they did to get the parents to actually send their children to mm. the school. And so there was a, a push to, to make that happen and I was the little third grade girl that um, came to uh, my little elementary school and uh, um, was the first one in that class. It sounds scary, sort of being the first and perhaps holding expectations of the community. You would be surprised because that's exactly what happened. And that 
continues to be the case now where I feel like I'm representing a group of people, but I also see it as an opportunity to be an ambassador. Because mm. in my mind, racism, sexism, I've been everywhere, even my geographic location, being a southern girl living in the north, people have, uh, you know, different opinions of people from different parts of the, the world and the country and yeah. the universe. And um, being that ambassador to show people that no matter where we're from, no matter how we look, we all want one thing, and that's to believe that we matter. Wonderful. That's amazing. I can hear how you've needed to be resilient from a very young age. Yes. Yeah. I think pioneers are. Mm. Uh, you know, in our culture, in our country here in America, I think about the pioneers that left the East and, and they went West to settle. It was a lonesome place for them at times. Uh, so pioneers have to experience isolation. They have to experience exclusion. Uh, but what's exciting about it is, is that the adventure and the, and, and the journey itself and then the accomplishments and realizing that, that your accomplishments may be motivational to somebody else. Yeah, yeah, wow. So let's go back to your, your journey, uh, becoming a biologist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? So uh, I listened to this song and you gotta go play it. It's Marvin Gaye's song and it's called The Ecology. But it says, mercy, mercy, mean things are not like they used to be. And he said, what happened to the blue skies? And then he said, radiation in our, you know, our air. And then he said, uh, mercury in our fish. Mm -hmm. And I was inspired by that song. I was still in junior high school, I believe. And um, I just realized that it's time for me to do something. And uh, that was 40 years ago. And the wave of conservation was really big at that time, like it is now. And so I had a chance to really, really be inspired by a lot of great conservation laws that were about to be passed in the late 1970s, uh, early 80s, where people were really into recycling and doing yeah. some great things for the environment. So I happened to be there, um, got a chance to do some internships, which I highly recommend for college students to yeah. get out there and learn to say yes, because it was hard for me. I was mm -hmm. living in Arkansas. And asked to do a detail in Wisconsin, but my fears almost kept me from doing it. Mm. But I remember my mother's words again. She said, fear is false evidence appearing real, F-E-A-R. Yeah. So I had to learn to say yes, even though I was afraid of what was ahead of me. Mm. It was one of the best moves of my life. Yeah. So where did you study? So it was the University of Arkansas, and then I went on to the University of Wisconsin, mm -hmm. and um, and at Green Bay, and then at Madison, Wisconsin, yeah. and then um, went to work at U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. I worked in with the school at the same time too. Wow. Yeah. So um, uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service really, really promotes uh, making sure people got the academic support that they needed and to, to do their jobs mm -hmm. better. So I lived in Wisconsin and then I lived in, um, I left Wisconsin and moved to Missouri and worked there uh, for about nine years uh, and uh, worked with uh, farmers um, and looking at conservation issues on farmland for the most part, a lot mm -hmm. of my work was. And then I moved to Minneapolis and 
that's when I got married in Minneapolis. So I had been going to school and working my entire life and so I wanted to get a balance in mm -hmm. my life and give back to the community. That was the first opportunity and I had a chance to do that in Minnesota. Yeah. You've had so many different roles, a really fascinating career. Um, can we talk about some of your highlights in terms of the research you've been involved with, some of the issues you've been looking at? Yeah, so one of the things that I had a chance to do in the Great Lakes and working in the Great Lakes big river region, it's a lot of pollution in those lakes, in the Great Lakes at the time, and looking for ways to recover and restore some of the fishery population. So I worked at a national fish hatchery where we actually um, did two things. We looked at diseases in fish, and then another one where we actually raised fish to stock in the lake. Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot about life cycles of lake trout and, and other fish. So. Um, working in communities like that. Also working uh, a lot with federal agencies doing work, construction projects, bridges, highways, uh, buildings, and helping them um, design those that they would have less impacts on uh, fish and wildlife. Mm -hmm. and how they align them or how they uh, design them, or make sure they avoided streams and and, you know, other things that are important. So uh, that was really exciting. But I tell you, and I did work in the Endangered Species Program, well, with the endangered, supporting the endangered species. But I tell you, the most um, important work that I think in conservation now sometimes gets overlooked, and that's really controlling invasives and non-native species. Mm -hmm. You have those in your yes, country too? Yes, yes. Japanese knotweed, yeah. Himalayan balsam. Yes. And, and, you know, just getting control of those, it's really hard. Mm. Finding the sources and dealing with the human behaviors. Yeah. Because that's where many of them have come from is because of some, of some of our own behaviors, right? Yeah. Yeah. How have you been received in, in these environmental spaces as an African-American woman? Well, I, it's amazing to me because most of the time people assume that I am um, there as a support person. Mm -hmm. Even now, in, even in 2019. Um, but I feel like once they get to know who you are, they feel better about it. And I've suppressed a lot of these rejections over the years just so I could overcome you know, my frustration so that I could look ahead. But as I look back over it, um, some, most of the time, I believe that people unintentionally excluded me mm -hmm. uh, from being a part of, of the circle. And, and it's because scientists, engineers, attorneys, those people that I've worked with in the past, for the most part, they lack a lot of emotional intelligence yes and not intentionally but they don't have a lot of the social skills that would say what people you know people skills that are all about inclusiveness mm -hmm. i'm not justifying why they did it mm -hmm. but i can kind of see why that could have happened mm -hmm. so i've had to just kind of claw my way in there yeah using my own personal interpersonal skills to get there uh and then building trust mm -hmm. uh over time but it hasn't always been easy. And, and some days I just don't feel like doing it. One more day where you gotta say, okay, here's another day I gotta walk in here and try to feel um, 
you know, like acclimated and included. Mm -hmm. um, but I, again, I, I realize we need to be at the table. We got to deal with climate change. Mm -hmm. We got to get more green infrastructure. We got to protect these urban um, wildlife communities. They might be small, but they're mighty and powerful. Mm -hmm. And we need to have them for children. Um, because in many cases, that's the only place that they can go. Yeah. I work in the Baltimore, Maryland area and uh, quite a bit. And um, when I see the young children in those communities thinking that they don't get to see the same amount of, of wildlife that I have had the privilege yeah. of seeing. It's not incredible. So, Just one generation. Yeah. Yeah. But what I realized is that if you go there and help them, I went to 12 schools in the Baltimore community to tell my life stories to Mamie Parker Journey, but talk to them about what is it that they like to eat, for example, and how the food that they eat is related to the pollinators mm -hmm. and why it's important to protect pollinators. Blue crabs are really big in this geographic area. Showing them a blue crab and saying, this is why we need clean water because you like crab. Yeah. You know, then we can try to move to the next step up and talk to them about human health mm -hmm. and why it's important. But first, talk to them about what really resonates with them. And then they'll go home. You give them that call to action. They'll go home and they'll watch the trash that they put in their neighborhoods, in their yards. When they'll talk to their parents about recycling and all of that. So I'm a big proponent of starting young and, and uh, you know, teaching the children yeah. about conservation. In the UK context, we talk about a generational disconnect mm -hmm. in this podcast, sort of not enough time to go into all of that. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering, sort of compared to your own story of having your, your mother who taught you directly about fishing and you mm -hmm. getting to see the connections, mm -hmm. sort of what you feel has happened in the US that school children now don't necessarily associate that, that crab with mm -hmm. the environment that it lives in. Mm -hmm. What do you think has happened? Well, I think that, that technology had a lot to do with it. Mm. Um, I think that also crime in many of those communities had a lot to do with it. I also think it's a historical perspective. Even in my family, when I told my brothers and sisters that I wanted to work outside, they said, what? Mm -hmm. You know, we went to school and to college, so we didn't have to work outside. Yeah. So uh, there's some negative connotation at the time with saying, you know, you had a job outside. They yeah. were like, I worked all of my life to get an office. Yes. Now you're saying, go back yeah. outdoors. So, so we find too that often progression is associated with urban and with uh, technology and, and nature seen as backwards and something to be left behind. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. Say more about that. Um, I think, especially as people of colour, mm -hmm. um, there's a stigma around being associated with nature as being backwards. Yeah. Uh, whether it's because of uh, slavery or right. colonisation. Exactly. Being exactly. told that we're, we're primitive, that yes. our knowledge and ways of being are less than right. because we're connected with nature. Exactly. And as a response, we abandon nature yes. to prove that we are good enough to That's do right. that. that um, uh, 
a desire to be seen a certain way, which is urban, which is about living in affluent cities, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and sadly rejecting and abandoning the relationships and the connection we had. Right. That now actually a lot of the environmental organisations um, are employing themselves, mm -hmm. but in a way which shuts us out. Yeah, it shuts us out. I go. I went to Africa, mm. and that's probably one of the best examples of that. Um, and you know they still appreciate the people in Africa still appreciate nature and what it's all about. Yeah. I think when they can, you know, uh, they do. But what's amazing to me is to see that most of the NGOs that I saw there yeah. were uh, were not people yes. of color, Western and white. Yeah, Western and white, and somewhat exclusive. I don't see them trying to open the door no. to get other people like me or recruit people like me to say, come over here and let's see what you can do with the NGO. It's like, this is our little yes. paradise over here. We want to keep it to ourselves. I could be wrong, but that's my perception. I, I agree. And sort of my visit to the States shows me that some of the issues we're dealing with in the UK are very similar in terms of... Um, the, the predominant narrative about who owns land, who is the natural custodian, uh -huh. uh, and it typically being uh, sort of a white middle class. Yes. Um, but that also being very present in Africa and Asia, and that there's this sort of a global narrative around nature that yes. African and Asian people harm or right. don't value the natural right. world. Right. And, and white people have the best knowledge and are the best custodians about how to look after. But, but if you think about how it all happened in the beginning, even in this country, the Native Americans, you know, we talk about Chief yes. Seattle and what he said about, uh, you know, these lands and the earth and who it belongs to, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, and we were the one that introduced many of the things that are destroying yes. the land. Yeah. It wasn't the natives. It's yeah. the case in Africa now and in other places too. So we just have to really get it right and yeah. figure it out, I think, um, and put it in priority. Uh, but I also understand the struggles with countries like that. I was, we, we had a chance to go to El Salvador and um, South America. And I understand that Maslow's theory of, of motivation mm -hmm. where First, let me just figure out how I'm going to get the basics. Yeah, food. survival. Yes, yeah. right, right. But helping them make that connection, that saying that the lowest thing on that pyramid really means that you can rely upon natural resources mm -hmm. for those things, for your food, for your shelter, for your you know clothing, all of that yeah. is all about nature too. Absolutely, yeah. We're going to come to an end for today. Thank you so much for your time. But before we do uh, end, what message do you have for young women, uh, people of colour listening, um, that are contemplating stepping into this work? So the first thing I would say is, like I said, I read Shonda Ryan's book. She wrote, she's, she wrote some great stories here and television shows here in America, Scandal being one of them, and she had a year you know, say yes to things that you're not always comfortable with. Um, I think that's important. I also tell this story about the janitors at this um, place that I worked that basically saw me in the bathroom and they were so proud mm -hmm. uh, because they said it had been years, it had never been since they'd worked there where they actually saw a person of color in a powerful position in that office. and. Um, and I said, it's hard sometimes, but they said life, of course, uh, is hard, but life is long. Yeah. So I tell them that, 
that life is long and enjoy that journey. Um, I also, those ladies would tell me, go work your dream. Mm -hmm. Go go make your dream come true. And so I tell them too, is the dream um, and, and begin um, and be brave and just keep going and growing and realize that we have a tendency to want everything to be perfect and you know I've been drilled in my mind that practice makes perfect mm -hmm. but what I know now is that practice makes improvement and so yeah. you know it's the incremental steps that will get us to where we need to go and it doesn't always have to be a straight line. It can go in different directions and we can end up at the same spot. Very powerful. Thanks so much for your time today, Mamie. If people want to learn more about you, is there somewhere they can go to look up more information? Sure. I am, my, my website is mamieparker.com, M-A-M-I-E parker.com or mamie at mamieparker.com. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, WhatsApp app and Snapchat at Mamie Parker. Lovely. Thanks so much for your time. Really value it. Thank you. Thank you, Beth, for what you do. And I really appreciate you being here and representing your country well and certainly, certainly asking some very, very great questions. It's my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Black Nature Narratives. Check back soon for new episodes. If you're in the UK and want to be part of a community of people of colour gathering in nature in real life, sign up to wildinthecity.org.uk for updates, events and membership. To support this podcast, visit our Patreon page or the link below.